Thanks to Sprout Social for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Sprout Social offers businesses an intuitive platform to help build meaningful relationships at scale on social. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com slash fool today. Welcome to Industry Focus, a show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Tuesday, June 18th, and we're talking consumer goods. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. I am joined by foolish contributor friend, pretty much doing everything these days, <laughs> Dan Klein. Dan, how are you? Uh, hey there, Shannon. I'm good, and uh, apparently we're going to the mall. Apparently we are going to the mall today. I must say, uh, I'm not a huge mall fan now that uh, I'm no longer in my teenage years. <laughs> but now that I have a child who is nine years old, I find myself more and more at the mall. So I'm excited about today's topic. Yeah, you're in the mall zone. My my kid is 15. I have a son, and he sort of grew out of his like every time, every day. Let's go to the mall and arguing with me about buying thirty dollars t-shirts and two hundred dollars sneakers. So thankfully, those days appear to be behind me. Oh, thanks. I have so much to look forward to, Dan. Um, <laughs> yes, but you do. yeah, yeah. Today's show is all about shopping malls. You've likely heard about the death of the American shopping mall. Probably have witnessed it in your own town as well. But today we're diving into what that looks like and which mall stocks are doing well, as well as the ones that aren't. Dan, to kick things off, I feel like I see headlines nearly every day. Things like <laughs> the American retail apocalypse, or malls see tsunami of store closures in 2019. <laughs> Can you just give us some context? Like how, how bad is it, especially this year compared to years prior? So, it's bad but it's also being sort of misplaced or misplayed. So, the retail apocalypse is the idea that every store is going to die because people don't want to go to the mall, they don't want to go to big box retailers, they're just going to buy everything from Amazon on their phone. And that's true for bad retailers. If you're a retailer who did nothing to address the fact that these trends are happening, then you're in real trouble. But if you're a retailer that embraced omnichannel, that gave people fun reasons to go to their stores, that sort of made a transformation, well, then you're just fine. That's kind of what's happening in America's better malls. We're not, yes, we're seeing store closures. If you go to the mall month after month, you're going to see a more changes than you used to see over years because we've had, you know, bankruptcies like Payless that had a store in pretty much every mall and that's a big opening and something has to go in there. And we'll talk a little bit later about what's filling them. So we've had about 5,000 store closures this year uh, through March. That's ahead of last year and we're on path for a record pace. We've also had about 2,500 store openings and we're not seeing too many retailers open thousands, even hundreds of stores. What we are seeing is a lot of retailers being very selective and opening in sort of the A malls or the best places. And mind you, those 5,000 closings are not all enclosed malls. Some of them are strip malls. Some of them are uh, sort of victims of a big box in a strip going out and kind of killing all the things that were left there. But for a big list of companies, this is sort of bleak. So, a bit overdone, you would say, some of these headlines are, Dan. Well, yeah, because it's easy to look at, say, Sears and JCPenney and say, oh my God, Amazon is going to kill everyone. But you have to bring up 
Best Buy and Walmart and Target. And obviously, Target is sometimes a mall store, and Best Buy is sometimes a mall store. They're also sometimes standalone. But those are companies that said, okay, this is what people want from Amazon. Can we give them that? And can we give them something that they can only get from a store? So I can right now jump on my phone, see if Best Buy has the laptop, HDMI cable, I don't know, blender, toaster, whatever it is I might want, see if they have it, buy it, and go pick it up at the Best Buy down the street. Amazon can't do that yet. Now, Amazon might be able to deliver a selection of items in some markets within two hours, but they're not going to equal anytime soon a full Best Buy, a full Target, a full Walmart. So there's absolutely things where you can build upon if you're a brick and mortar store. If you're a mall based toy store, that, that's not really a thing anymore, but let's pretend you are. You can hold a Pokemon tournament or Magic the Gathering or Warhammer painting. Those are things that, yeah, you can can buy all those products for the same price or cheaper online, but you can't create the sense of community. You can't do the things, give people the immediate gratification that a store can. So yes, we have a retail apocalypse of poorly run stores going out of business because they didn't change with the times. Or in the case of Sears, they said they were changing, but they didn't actually do anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really, this is about retail management. It's not about consumer behavior. Yeah, and that's really where, as you were mentioning, kind of the bricks and click strategy, really building out these omni-channel uh, presence. And even more so, it's about figuring out the right ratio of what's going to be sold online versus are you going to have a retail store. Another thing that I think is really interesting, um, you had kind of a, a retail boom for a lot of these malls in like the 90s, 2000s. Then the recession hit. You still have a lot of stores that still haven't fully recovered. So a lot of your luxury high-end retail stores have taken a big hit. But it also gave rise to a lot of these fast fashion stores. I'm talking about your H&M, your Zara. Um, personally, not a huge fan of fast fashion stores, <laughs> but you know, to each his own. But it's just interesting to see how some stores have been able to adapt fill in the gap, and then others, like you mentioned, haven't. What are some of the, I guess, biggest losers right now when it comes to this retail apocalypse hitting the malls? Well, Shannon, as you know, I am all about the fashion. <laughs> so, no, Most no, fashionable guy I know. I learn all that I know from Dan Quinn. <laughs> so, so the losers are stores that didn't look at the consumer base. Look, I'm not a fan of H&M either. I, I find it disposable clothing. On the other hand, I, su- I sort of like Uniqlo, which is a Japanese company that does sort of similarly priced things. I, I just I like sort of they're doing basics, not. You know, traditionally fashionable items. It's more like foundation things for your your wardrobe: a black T-shirt, a you know, a, a sweatshirt that you could wear multiple times. That kind of stuff. So it's really the companies that win are the ones that are looking at what do consumers want and how do I give it them. So let's take a mall loser. The Gap has been closing stores. The reason The Gap has been closing stores is their merchandise hasn't connected with customers. And as a company, The Gap is sort of hamstrung by the fact that they also own Old Navy. And Old Navy is, call it inexpensive fast fashion, and that sort of takes that end of the market where The Gap can't go into that. So. With the gap, you have kind of untrendy $60 jeans. So you don't have trendy $100 jeans. You don't have fast fashion $20 jeans. You kind of have a product that nobody wants. And the gap has always been sort of a cyclical company, but it's a pretty major downtime now where that chain may not survive. Then you have a company like Payless. Payless is 
either closed or closing all of its stores. And that's because you can get shoes a lot of places online. And, you know, could Payless have doubled down on the fact that you can't try on shoes on Amazon? And I know I've been buying uh, uh, different beat shoes, and I think it's taken me about six pairs to get the ones I want, and returns are not all that fun on Amazon. So if I could have gone into a Payless and they had the products I wanted, I might have bought them. But all Payless had was sort of the promise of inexpensive. And inexpensive is something the internet can deliver over and over again. You know, then you've got companies like Charlotte Roost, which closed all its stores because it was it was a fashion store, but it didn't really have an audience. It didn't really have a brand. It didn't do anything to attract people. Gymboree, again, you know, clothing for little kids is kind of a commodity. You can buy it online. You could buy it anywhere. Parents know that it's going to have a very limited lifespan. So you might buy one or two, you know, dressy, expensive outfits. But for the most part, it's a Target Walmart pricing point. And Gymboree just didn't answer that. You know, then you have companies like uh, Jared Jewelers, which is which is owned by Signet, which is own, owns all of those sort of low end uh, jewelry brands. And again, it's something that like I could go to the mall and buy jewelry. But there's so many choices, and they haven't given me a reason. You know, Pandora has done well because they have the the time limited things and the Disney partnerships. And you'll go to the mall and you'll see a huge line at Pandora because they've given customers a reason to be there with an exclusive or a a, a limited time offer or something that only they have so many of. Uh, so the stores that are failing are failing again because they're not managed well. So true. I know um, we've talked a lot about JCPenney on the store before. Um, they are struggling. Still amazing to me that they continue um, to, I guess, putt-putt along. Uh, I will <laughs> say, uh, my first job in high school was working at the JCPenney shoe store. Um, learned a lot about business. Um, learned a lot about stuffing size 9 shoes into size eight <laughs> rock ports. Um, not saying that I contribute, contributed to their decline, um, but I think I might be a part of that. But JCPenney is one of those stories um, that, like a Sears, like a Kmart, I, I, I just wonder how much longer can they survive? Not much longer. So JCPenney was a company for a long time I talked about how they were making all the right moves. For example, when Toys R Us closed, JCPenney went into toys. When Sears started closing locations, JCPenney went into appliances. And the problem is, I said those things, oh, they're making the right move, without going into a JCPenney and seeing how they execute toys. Well, the toy section at JCPenney last Christmas was literally a bunch of toys thrown into the middle of the floor. It wasn't merchandised well, and I'm only speaking for visits to two, maybe three JCPenneys, so maybe there were a couple that did it well. But the ones I saw, it was very poorly done, it wasn't the mix of toys I would have bought, and I spent two years running a very successful toy store, so I can speak to that a little bit. And I'm a JCPenney customer. In fact, the shirt I'm wearing is from JCPenney. I knew it, And it's, it's, it's one of three places I buy a similar shirt from. I buy it from Amazon. I buy it from Kohl's. But half the time I go to JCPenney, they either don't have the shirt in the size I want, or it's not where it was last time, or the merchandising is so convoluted. So it's a very difficult store to shop at. My son and I will go in, and he'll need, say, a bathing suit. 
and the selection in his size will be poor, but they'll have three racks of novelty suits, you know, the ones with like the dollar bills or the American flag printed on them. And you can tell a lot of their merchandise is just to fill space because they don't have the money to have everything they need. And that is an absolute red flag. When a company is sort of stretching out its merchandise and filling its store with stuff that like it's either not going to sell or it's not going to be high margin or even decent margin, there are a lot of major red flags that JCPenney is, and you can look at their balance sheet, running out of money. So, Dan Klein propping up JCPenney one black <laughs> polo shirt at a time, Dan. Another thing that I think is really important uh, to address is the Stitch Fix effect. Um, I am a Stitch Fix customer, um, and really, Stitch Fix, of course, came out with a subscription where I can get clothes now mailed to me. Um, so there's the convenience factor. I can ship them back. Um, you've seen a lot of retailers starting to implement similar subscription services. I know The Loft is another one um, that I think announced recently that they were trying that out. How do you view Stitch Fix impacting a lot of these mall stores? It's going to hurt them. Now, if I'm a mall store, there's an answer to this. In theory, I should be able to walk into Macy's, spend some time either with an AI on a tablet or preferably an actual human. That human learns what I like or that AI learns what I like by I'm taking pictures of it or whatnot. And then they're creating a customized solution for me. So there is absolutely a way the mall stores could go into this business, but for the most part, they haven't. And I'll jump on another trend, uh, having custom-made clothes, so like an M. Taylor or, or other brands like that, or even using a tool so you get the right sizes when you're on a website. That's something that stores should be doubling down. I buy suits at Macy's because I tend to figure out I need a suit two hours before I need the suit. And if you go to Macy's, there are actual tailors who work there. So that's just not something you can you can equal online. And that's where the mall needs to to strive to offer. You know, if I can go to a store and have everything done for me, I'm digitally measured, everything fits, and if I want to sign up for a subscription box, I could sign up for a subscription box, and I don't have to come back to the mall, and I can make my returns in the mall instead of having to mail them back, that's how a mall competes with Stitch Fix, and I haven't seen it. Uh, I'm not a customer because, well, I don't go to an office, so I don't have to really think about what I'm wearing most days. Fair enough. And on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about some of the stores that are doing some good things to stay ahead of the retail apocalypse. But first, a quick word from our friends at Sprout Social. Thanks to Sprout Social for supporting Industry Focus. What makes people love the brands that they love? In a word, connection. And social media is where they look for that connection. Sprout Social gives businesses a unified solution to find, engage with, and nurture their audiences through social. In one intuitive platform, see and respond to every message, join the conversations happening around your brand, and turn rich social data into actionable insights. More than 25,000 organizations around the globe use Sprout to create real connection. No matter the size of your organization or the scale of your social efforts, Sprout has you covered when you need to deliver and measure valuable content, learn deeper insights about your audience, and nurture relationships with your customers. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com slash full today. That's SproutSocial.com slash full. All right, Dan, we're back. Um, we've talked about some of the losers when it comes to the retail apocalypse, but let's talk about the winners because it's not all doom and gloom. And as you mentioned, it's a bit overdone. What are the types of companies right now that are actually doing well in the small environment? 
So there are types of businesses coming to malls that we never used to have. So you remember when you used to go to the mall, you'd get like a, an orange Julius, a pretzel, maybe a, a Cinnabon or something, you know. Now you can go to the mall and get a chemical peel and some Botox. I, I know my mall has at least two places that sell cosmetical procedures. I'm not fully even aware what all of those are, but it's clearly something different that brings traffic in. The other areas where malls are, are, and these are sort of the better malls, they're becoming locations for digital native brands. So right now I'm taping this in a co-working space in sort of an outdoor mall, and right next to me is a Casper mattress. Casper is a digital native brand that's opening up select stores. And the point of those stores isn't necessarily to generate sales, it's to make customers comfortable with the product. So maybe I'm coming to have dinner at the Cheesecake Factory in this plaza, and I was thinking about a Casper mattress, so I go in and lie on one, and then a few weeks later I buy one. So brands like Warby Parker, I know there's a Warby Parker down the street from HQ, and instead of having to have them mail you glasses, you can go in and try on a bunch of glasses, see how you look, make your pick, and sort of, you know, have a connection to the brand that's better than the digital. Now, those chains aren't opening up thousands of stores. They're not going to become, you know, they're not going to fill in all the empty radio shacks. They're going to open 100 to 300, depending on the chain. So malls, it's a big competition, and you're going to see the better malls get those stores. So as you move down the line, mall owners have to be creative. You're starting to see more gyms enter malls, and literally below me, and again, I'm in sort of an outdoor mall, not an enclosed mall, right next to the Casper is an LA Fitness. <laughs> and that's a mall you're seeing, that's a store you're seeing in more traditional gyms. The idea behind that is that a gym might bring someone in, they're going to work out, they're going to take a shower, maybe they're going to go to the mall food court to have lunch. Maybe they realize, oh, I, I need a, I need a, pair of uh, slippers. I'm going to go to this store to buy slippers. I'm not sure why I thought slippers. Uh, then you're getting experiential stores. So an obvious one would be Dave & Buster's, which is opening a handful of stores, and malls are coming after them pretty hard. But you might also get like an old Sears that becomes a trampoline park or something, you know, e even like an indoor skate park or one of those, uh, those skydiving places that are you know, you're, you're not actually skydiving. It's just a big fan blowing you up. So malls are being really creative. Obviously, co-working spaces are going into malls. You're seeing hotels go more into malls. And that makes sense because malls have restaurants. They have co-working spaces. They have all the stuff that sort of business travelers might need all in one place. So the mall owners have gotten very creative. And the stronger malls are actually doing very well. Yeah, um, you mentioned it. It's really about the creativity of a lot of these mall owners to bring in more foot traffic. They're redeveloping a lot of these spaces, especially the vacated spaces, into these mixed-use opportunities. So you've got multifamily, you've got apartments, hotels, um, and really, as you mentioned, to the experience as well. As a parent, oftentimes I'm going to the mall now to go to the American Girl store, which is a <laughs> store that um, it, I'm shocked every time I walk in it. But it truly is an experience. It's not just about buying these really expensive dolls that probably no child under the age of 15 should have. But that's neither here nor there. It's about um, the cafe where you can come and sit with your doll. You can have birthday parties there. You can get the doll's hair done. You can, they can even get their ears pierced, Dan. And so what drives me to the ball is making sure that you know our daughter has something to do, or at least be active somewhat. But it's really about creating these experiences. 
Well, as a 45-year-old man, I am not allowed to go to the American Girl store without <laughs> without a girl. Or if I just walked in with a doll, that would not be great. But but yeah, and what what you're also seeing is malls being very clever with nonprofits or performance space. So the mall near me is undergoing some major transformation. It has a bunch of openings, a bunch of things under construction. So they've taken some of the empty space and they've let community groups have it. Or one one, one part of the the mall, just like a like a Starbucks size space is now a reading room and it just has like a library of books. So if I bring my 15 year old and his friend to the mall, I could go grab my laptop and go work or read a book in the reading room. Is that going to be there in two years? Absolutely not. But they're trying to fill in holes in the short term rather than just putting up signs saying coming soon. Because in many cases, they know what's coming, but it's going to take six months, a year, who knows how long to make those transitions. And in other cases, you know, they're still working on the deals or uh, the, the mall about 45 minutes from here in Boca is knocking down an entire wing and putting up more residents. Uh, so the stores that are in that wing are a little bit uh, desolate. So they've tried to have some events or, you know, almost like like live performances, people singing, who knows what, just to get you to look at that corner of the mall. So the mall companies have been very active in managing this transformation. So we can't talk about malls without really diving into the mall owners. Um, of course, majority of malls are, are REITs, basically. Uh, we've got about a thousand malls in the U.S., 70% are owned by these REITs. Um, I mentioned the retail boom that happened in the 90s and 2000s, and really since the recession, haven't really seen um, a similar boom. It's interesting that the U.S., though, still has more retail square footage than any other uh, country in the world right now. When you combine that with these store closures, these uh, bankruptcies that are happening, you've got a lot more vacated space, and that's really impacted a lot of these mall REITs. Which ones, though, stand out to you as interesting, maybe even potential investments, Dan? So the mall company I'll point out is Simon, because the the upscale mall here in, in Palm Beach Gardens is a Simon Mall. And that mall has done well. Like when, when a store closes, something else goes in. And it's one of those malls where you walk around and you kind of think, who shops here? Like it's like, you know, like a Rolex store and a I don't know if they have a Tesla store, but it's like that level of like, okay, all I can afford in this mall is the food court. Like there's and maybe the Godiva. You know, there there is nothing I can buy. But those malls and Simon as a company has seen their square foot, their uh, dollar per square foot go up 3.1% over last year. They've also seen their occupancy rate go up. And again, that's not because they found new ways to get, you know, a new Sears to open. We both know that's not happening. They're being creative. They're putting in things like co-working spaces or eatily food halls or, or more restaurants. So, the the companies that own the a you know the top tier malls those are doing well you know we saw similar things with Brookfield and and Tobman uh, you know two mall companies and in in general the results are good sales are up but that's not the sales we thought of you know yeah there's a few chains Ulta Beauty is expanding quickly uh, Ross is expanding not necessarily a mall store and a lot of the vacancies we're seeing are more strip malls whereas the successful malls have appeal. They can say to people, you know, hey, look, 
do you want to be next to the Kmart that's dying or do you want to be in the mall that replaced Sears with a trampoline park and now we have an ice skating rink and we're putting in a, a swimming pool or who knows what else it is. Uh, so, so it's really about the rich getting richer and we're going to see a lot of like fully vacant strip plazas consolidate and get steamrolled and turned into something else. Yeah. So really where you're seeing this trend go, Dan, is premium mall opportunities, um, REITs that are focusing on premium brands, premium stores. Um, and I think what you kind of see happening in the entire mall REIT space is um, they are trying to make concessions to keep as many of these stores uh, there just to keep their occupancy rates relatively high. I think most of them are trending around 94%, if not higher. But I mean, 99% is what we saw just a few short years ago. So overall, um, the mall REIT section is, I think, an interesting. Uh, investment opportunity. One, just because a lot of the fear-mongering that's going on with the death of retail, I don't think um, malls are going to go anywhere anytime soon. I do think it is about adapting and figuring out which strategy they can employ to drive foot traffic, but I don't see them going out. So, Would you say that now might actually be a really good time to buy some of these mall REITs, especially with yields you know, 5, 6, 7, 8% and higher? So, I, I think it is, because the reality is, it's harder to get Americans to, to leave their house. If you can buy most things on Amazon, you're not going to make a quick trip to the grocery store for something you need for three days from now. So, if I take a good mall, and it not only has a movie theater, a giant eating hall, um, maybe I can get my oil changed, like who, who knows what, they're giving me a pile of reasons to visit. And that's going to be very attractive for stores. Right now, the one advantage you have, if you're, say, like Untucket or Warby Parker, is you have leverage over a mall. You can go to the mall and say, I'm not signing a 10-year lease. I'm signing a one-year lease with a bunch of options. Um, I want these guarantees. I'm not going to give you this cut of my Christmas sales. Sort of. So, there's a lot more leverage for those retailers that sort of bring cachet to negotiate with the malls. The malls are going to figure out ways to either get rid of space or replace that space with other things. You know, Starbucks will pay a comparable rate to another coffee shop. A mall can arguably charge Dave and Buster's less for the attraction of Dave and Buster's and have it be a benefit and help them get in some other stores. So yes, cautiously I would look at, you know, these REITs as possible buys if you, like me, believe that people will still leave the house, they are still going to go to the mall. I, I, I don't think teenagers are as driven to the mall as they used to be, but they still want to go there. And, you know, the things we liked, my son still wants a pretzel or a gelato or whatever it might be. And those things are at the mall. All right, Dan, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, be sure to stay out of the American Girl store. Continue propping <laughs> don't, up JCPenney. I, I don't think we have an American Girl <laughs> store here. So. Not yet, and thank goodness. All right, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in, and that'll do it for this week's Industry Focus show. Um, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Dan Boyd. For Dan Klein, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. Thank you.